trust that your uh, weekend has gone as well as mine has, and I'm excited to be here today to worship together. I want to start today by telling you a story about a fellow who asked his wife to go around the back of his car to see if his turn signal was working. And she walked back there, and uh, he turned his turn signal on and said, is it working? And she looked down at the taillight and said, yes, no, yes, no, yes. We are in this little short sermon series that we've begun last week in uh, the books of First, Second, and Third John. Last week's lesson was entitled, I Know, because there's some things in First John chapter 1 that John really wanted us to know. I've entitled today, chapter 2, I Will, because there's some things that John wants us to do that he's going to talk about in second chapter of 1 John. Actually, there's also some things that John doesn't want us to do that he's going to talk about. In fact, there's a little bit of this yes-no thing going on in the second chapter of 1 John. Yes, no, yes, no. A little bit, uh, actually, it's a little bit more like a traffic signal than it is uh, a turn signal. In fact, John is sort of playing red light, green light with his readers. Remember that game when you were little? Red light, green light. You know, somebody yelled green light and everybody would start running and they'd yell red light and everybody would stop and they tried to trick you so you'd go at the wrong time and... You know, it was a beautiful thing when you're six years old. But uh, it's what John starts doing here in chapter 2. He says, there's some things that you need to stop. There's some red lights here that we're going to talk about, and I'm going to warn you about. There's some things you want not to do, but then there's also some green lights. And there's some things that we're going to talk about that he's really going to encourage us to do. In fact, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's, he's commanding us to do. So this morning, we're going to do a little red light, green light thing as we go through the second chapter of 1 John. I don't want all you introverts to panic. No one's going to have to get up. No one's going to have to move or do anything. But every time we see a red light, we're going to stop. And we're going to listen to what John has to say and what he's trying to tell us and what he's trying to warn us about. And then when we see a green light... We're going to kind of focus on those things that John says it's really important to us to be to be about as followers of Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you right up front, there's a whole lot of things in this book that we should be stopping and, and talking about. In fact, there's a whole lot of things in the second chapter that we really need to stop and talk about. Uh, we could spend a couple of weeks easily in the second chapter. So I'm trying to keep this thing moving, so bear with me. We might skip some things. You say, boy, why didn't he talk about that? But uh, I'm really counting on you reading it on your own when you go home. So uh, so, so forgive me if we miss something that, that, uh, that, you, you, that you see. Last week, we looked at the first two verses of the second chapter. So we're going to pick it up this morning in verse 3 of 1 John chapter 2. Here's what John says. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. We sort of talked about that a little bit last week. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. John begins this section of chapter 2 with a green light moment. And here's what John is giving us the green light on. John says we need to start looking to God's Word for answering our questions. John's John's green light is look to God's Word as you filter your decision-making process. I don't know how you make decisions. 
I don't know how you go about choosing what to do, you know, day by day. But we all have decisions to make, and we all go through some kind of process. You know, uh, I don't know who you look to for answers. I guess we all have some somebody or something. A couple years ago, um, Science and Engineering magazine reported that 33% of Americans use their horoscope on a daily basis to help them make decisions. I find that number almost hard to believe. I can't believe that a third of Americans consult their horoscope seriously. But even if that number is really inflated, the, the reality is a lot of people look for a lot of answers in a lot of different places. Some that really don't make much sense. Now, we are, seem to be very hesitant about telling our friends and neighbors about Jesus when the truth is our friends and neighbors are looking for answers everywhere. We might as well point them to the right place to look for answers, right? Notice what David says in Psalm 19 about God's Word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight to life. David says when you read the Word of God, you are reading perfect, trustworthy, right, clear information that gives you insight into how to live your life day to day. You're looking at something that will help you make decisions on a daily basis. And isn't that what we're all looking for? Aren't we all looking for answers? I mean, we can pretty much agree on the questions, right? But aren't we looking for answers? Maybe you heard the story about the, the substitute Sunday school teacher who was teaching some small children, and she went into her room and she realized that the cabinet where all the supplies were was locked with a combination lock. And she didn't know what the combination was, but she saw the preacher walk by the hall. So she called him in and said, might you know the, the combination to this lock? So I think I do. And he walked in and he, he started the first number, and then she could tell that he was having trouble remembering the rest of it. And he very slowly looked up to heaven. He mumbled something under his breath. Looked back down, made a few more turns, pulled the lock open. And she said, wow, I, I am in awe of your faith. I would love to have that kind of a relationship with the Lord. He said, oh, don't be too impressed. The, the, the uh, combination of the locks on a piece of tape stuck up there. You know, we all want to look really holy, right? We all want to look better than we really are. We all want to seem like we're pretty tuned in to God's Word and God's will. Everybody wants to talk the talk. But not everybody's willing to walk the walk. Everybody seems okay with a little bit of Christianity. Now just give me a little bit of Jesus. That's all I really need. A lot of people are pretty content to live in kind of a gray existence. But John writes in black and white. Look again at verse 3. 1 John chapter 2. We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. That is a really significant verse. That's a really significant thought that John just shares. And notice what he doesn't say in that verse. He's not saying, if you obey the commands, then you'll know God. It's not what he says. What he says is, if you, if you really know God, then you'll obey His commands. It's your knowledge of God 
that's going to motivate your obedience. And what John is saying is, a person who doesn't obey God is showing that they don't really know God. They don't trust God. They don't understand God. They don't realize that God's love and God's commandments and everything that God does is for our benefit. All those things that God tells us to do and not to do is because He loves us and because He wants the very best for us. Listen, I'm about to say something important. You'll pay attention here. In fact, so important that I'm putting it on the screen. If you don't really believe that God is love, or you don't really believe that God is love, if you believe that disobedience to Him is going to make you happier. You don't really believe that God is love if you think somehow that by disobeying God, I'm going to be happier. And I'm going to be better. You don't really believe God's love if you think that it's better for me to disobey Him. And we see it all the time, don't we? From the husband who's about to leave his wife and children because, hey, I want to be happy. From the workaholic who's so focused on, you know, the nicer house or the, the bigger car or something and his whole family's suffering because he's never home. From the woman who's holding the grudge and she just will not let it go even though God says, let it go. John says, if you really believe that disobeying God's going to make you happier, you don't know God. You don't know His love. You're, you're kind of like the Christian who goes through the cafeteria line saying, well, I'll have some of that, just a little bit of that, none of that. And we sort of obey God on our terms. And we obey God just as long as it fits our agenda. And we choose when and where and to what extent we'll be obedient. But that kind of person doesn't want a Lord. That kind of person just wants an advisor. That kind of person just wants someone to show up every now and then when they back themselves into a corner. They're looking for someone to give them a little bit of advice to get them out of a jam. They don't want a Lord. They want a consultant. But John says that's not how it works. You want to live in that gray area. But again, John writes in black and white. John says a follower of Jesus is going to be obedient to God even when it doesn't make sense to them. A follower of Jesus is going to be obedient even when it doesn't fit their agenda. Even when it's difficult. That's a green light. Trust God to direct your life. Filter every decision through God's Word and God's will. See if He doesn't bless you. And then John says, but the red light, I got a red light. Stop. Listen. Here's the red light. Stop hating your brother. Verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there's nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. Here's the thing about hate. Hate never feels good. Not for long. It never feels good. Now, you might, you might blast somebody, you might just rip them up one side, down the other, you know, and you walk away maybe feeling a little bit smug or, or superior or something, but, but later on, you're going to be miserable. 
Because hate never feels good for very long. It's sort of like hole-in-one donuts for me. And I think Jan and Kitty are going to back me up on this. Martha and I love hole-in-one donuts. They have several locations, I think. We always end up in Plant City at the hole-in-one donut store there. And I walk in there, and I always buy a dozen donuts. It's never occurred to me that you can buy just one donut. I'm sure they sell donuts singularly. I've never bought just one or two donuts. I've always bought a dozen. I guess they come to fit in the box, right? And then my next door neighbor's kid sold me this discount card to help his middle school that gets me a discount on the second dozen. So who can pass up a deal like that, right? So I don't need one dozen, but I walk out with 24 donuts. And of course I'm going to eat one when I get in the car, because that's the whole reason we stopped. Coconut is my favorite. Boy, they make a good coconut donut. So I eat that, and it is so good. But I also love the blueberry donuts. So while I'm in the parking lot, I eat a blueberry donut as well. And I start to drive home, and I realize, even in a couple hours, these donuts aren't going to taste as good as they taste right now. So I ask Martha to hand me a strawberry donut, because they are really good. And then I just rationalize, you know what? I won't eat dinner tonight. This is my dinner. And I ask for another coconut donut because they're still my favorite. And before I've driven three miles away, I've eaten six donuts. And you know what I'm about to say. You get to that point with donuts where they're good, they're good, they're good, they're good. They're terrible. Why? You know, just like that next bite, and I'm like, there's a bowling ball in my stomach. Why did I do that? I'm sick. I'm miserable. I'm going to be sick all night. I'm not going to sleep well. Why do I do that? I think that's how hate works. I think people get to a point where they say, why? Why did I do that? I've never heard anyone on their deathbed say, I am so glad I lived such a hateful life. And you know what? I never will. Back up to verse 6. Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did. You want to walk like Jesus walked? Then John says, pay attention to how you treat your brother. You know, I look at the news today and the things that are going on in the world things that are going on in our country. And so much of it seems fueled by hate. And you know that breaks God's heart. How can a follower of Jesus hate anyone? John says it's simple. They're still in darkness. John says they don't know God. In fact, John will say anytime you have a brother problem, what you really have is a father problem. You can't know, you can't know God and still hate. Now, you can know book, chapter, and verse and still hate. You can have a PhD in theology and still hate. You can know everything about God and still hate. But John says you can't know God and hate anybody. That's how Jesus walked. And you know what? It got him in trouble all the time. People would ask Jesus, why are you hanging out with the people you hang out with? And Jesus' answer was, I know the Father. 
I know the Father's love. And I know that the Father loves everyone, everywhere, every day. That's why I don't hate. It's a red light. Don't hate your brother. But then John yells, green light. There's something to do. i got a green light. Start maturing. You should be maturing in your faith. Verse 12. It's a beautiful section. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you. And you've overcome the evil one. Now, I want you to remember who's doing the writing here. It's the Apostle John, the son of thunder. You know why they call him the son of thunder? Because he had a pretty short fuse. He wasn't always the easiest guy to get along with. That's why he was such good friends with Peter, I think. But not only that, he's a little bit of a self-promoter. Remember the time that, that he says, hey, Jesus, when you come into your power, you know, when all the thing all plays out, I'd kind of like to be second in command. John's kind of a self-promoter. Not only that, he was sort of a bigot. You might remember the time they're going through Samaria. And, of course, the Jews and Samaritans did not get along anyway, and they wouldn't let them stop and eat. They're going through the villages. So John tells Jesus, why don't you call down fire from heaven? Let's, let's teach these people a lesson. So here you have John, who's a little bit of a hothead, who's a little bit of a self-promoter, who's a little bit of a bigot. How does he go from being those things to being the apostle of love? Simple. He started hanging around with Jesus. He started spending time with Jesus, and he became to realize, I have to change. I have to grow. I have to mature. I can't spend time with Jesus and stay the same as I was. I've got to be changing. I've got to grow. I've, I've got to walk like Jesus. I don't know how many of you have heard the story of Brooke Greenberg. It's really a tragic story. Brooke Greenberg is a young woman living in Ryerstown, Maryland. This picture was taken when Brooke was 17 years old. The time of her death, just a few years ago, Brooke was chronologically 20 years old. In every other way, she remained a toddler, diagnosed with an incredibly rare condition. Her father said Brooke was a six-month-old baby frozen in time. Her body never changed. She never walked. She never talked. She had all of her baby teeth when she was 20 years old. By every appearance, she was a normal six-month-old child. And she stayed that way for 20 years. As a father, I couldn't imagine the heartache of seeing a child that, that never grew, that never matured, that never changed. And I wonder if maybe our Heavenly Father doesn't look at us sometime and think, wow, he's been a child of mine for 10 years. And he hasn't grown a bit. She's been a child of mine for, for 20 years. And, and their faith and their fruits are still infantile. I wonder if that baffles God. God gives us the green light to study, to grow, and to mature. 
And then John's going to write in chapter 2, red light, got another red light for you. Stop loving the world. Verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. John says, quit loving the world. Again, John is preaching what he heard Jesus preach. Remember in Mark chapter 10 when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he falls at his knees before Jesus, which is a good place to start? If you're going to come to Jesus on your knees is a good way to get there. And he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life, which is a really good question. If I had one question to ask Jesus, that might very well be it. Jesus said, well, what are the commandments? And he said, well, I've kept the commandments since I was a boy, which means he's a really good guy. Of course, we know that Jesus immediately knew things about this man. And even though Jesus knew this young man's heart, Mark tells us that Jesus loved him. And I'm so glad that Mark added that little footnote, that insight into Jesus' heart, that Jesus loved him. Jesus knew he hadn't kept the commandments since a boy. Jesus knew there's something in your life that's really going to hinder you. There's something that you're going to have to get around and get over and work through, and it's going to be difficult for you. And yet Jesus loved him. And of course Jesus tells him, you lack one thing. Go sell what you have, give it to the poor, you'll have riches in heaven. Then come and follow me. And Jesus gives this guy kind of a red light, green light moment. Red light, stop loving the world, your stuff, your possessions, your things. They mean way too much to you. Green light, sell it. Help someone else. What good is money if it's not doing good? I love that line, Kevin. Follow me. But this young man couldn't do it. He was close. Oh, he was so close. But he couldn't quite do it. And what the rich young ruler never figured out, what I think a lot of people today never figure out, is that worldly love is not eternal love. He never understood John's red light. Don't fall in love with the world. John wants us to understand if we fall in love with the world... We're going to end up like that rich young ruler. Eventually, we're going to walk away sad. But then before he ends the chapter, he's going to give us one more green light. Verse 28, And now, dear children, continue in him. Green light, do this. Continue in him. So that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him that is coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. John says, continue in him. Green light. Continue in him. And really, he says it all through the chapter. Here in verse 28, continue in him. Verse 24, he said, remain in the sun. Verse 6, walk as Jesus walked. John wants us to know it really is about Jesus. You've got to be focused on Jesus. Green light. Continue in him. Green light, remain in the sun. Green light, walk as he has walked. 
You know, it seems that God's always given His people green lights. And God's people have the faith to see opportunities as green lights. God protects them. And God blesses them. Even in the face of what looks like pretty, pretty big odds. Remember when Moses sent out the twelve spies into the land of Canaan to see if they could take the land. Remember, ten of those spies came back and said, Red light, red light. Yes, it is wonderful. It's flowing with milk and honey, but ooh, there's giants there and fortified cities there. And red light, Moses, we can't do it. But of course, two spies came back. They saw the same land. They saw the same uh, people. They saw the same giants. They saw the same fortified cities. They saw the same obstacles. They said, it's a green light. This is a green light moment, Moses. God is going to give us this land. Let's go. Then you think about a young guy who's taking some provisions to his brothers who are in the army. And he gets there and he sees this Philistine giant in the valley, you know, taunting the armies of Israel. And this kid asks, what's going on here? What needs to be done? Why is he taunting the armies of God? And his brothers, as well as the Israelites, as well as the king, say, red light. It's a red light. David, you're young. David, you're naive. But this is a red light. This guy is undefeated, untied, and unscored upon. He can't be beaten. And David sees the same enemy on the hillside. He sees the same giant in the valley. He says, this is a green light moment. This battle belongs to the Lord. This is a green light moment. Then there's a Pharisee by the name of Simon who is hosting a very special dinner party in the New Testament. Special because Jesus was going to be at his home. Invitation-only kind of dinner. But a woman shows up. A woman who no righteous person would ever have anything to do with. A woman who anybody that was righteous would try very hard to avoid because everybody knew not just who she was, but, but what she was. And she approaches Simon's house. And everything about the house and everything about the situation screamed, Red light! <laughs> Red light! This is not for you. You do not belong here. You are not wanted here. And somehow she gets past the condescending stairs at the front door. And somehow she gets past all those uh, self-righteous Jewish men who are looking at her knowing that she's an adulterous woman. And she enters the room and she finds Jesus reclining at the table. And somehow she makes it to the feet of Jesus. And she just starts crying. I mean, this woman is just broken. And she cries so hard that her tears wet the feet of Jesus. And she dries his feet with her hair. And we read this 2,000 years later and think, well, that probably happened all the time. That didn't happen all the time. You know, that is such an awkward moment that nobody knows quite what to do except for Jesus. Jesus speaks to the woman. Jesus says, this woman has shown great love. And he tells this woman who's weeping at his feet, this isn't a red light moment for you. This is a green light moment for you. Your sins are forgiven. Green light. You know, a little bit ago, I mentioned the rich young ruler. Given the green light by Jesus. Sell your possessions. Give it to the poor. Have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. But he couldn't quite get there. You know, I wonder about that man. I wonder if he became a rich old ruler. We don't know. Don't know anything about him. Never mentioned again in Scripture. 
But I wonder if we would know more about him if he'd said yes that day to Jesus. I wonder if maybe we'd know his name had he said yes that day to Jesus. I wonder if when he was on his deathbed, that he thought back to that day that he met Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus gave him this invitation and he declined. And maybe later on he became a follower. I don't know. But if he didn't, I wonder if he ever thought, what would my life have looked like? How would my life have played out? What would be different if I had said yes to Jesus that day? If I'd accepted the green light, but instead I told him no. Red light, green light. John wants us to know it's, it's about walking in obedience. In the second chapter of 1 John is talking about walking in obedience. It's realizing that we've been given the green light to say yes to Jesus, to walk as He walked, to live as He lived, and to try to love like He loved. In the last week, chapter 1, John says, I want you to know, I know. Chapter 2, I want you to do, I will. I'll walk in obedience. I'll say yes to Jesus' green light. Now, I wonder if today might be a green light day for you. Maybe you're sitting here and you know, God's put something on your heart and you say, I'm, I've been pushing back and I've been pumping the brakes and I've been stopping for way too long. But God gives me the green light to step out on faith, to trust in Him, to walk as Jesus walked. Maybe today's a green light day for you. Maybe there's some decisions you need to make, maybe publicly, maybe privately. But I pray as we leave here this morning, we'll understand that God has given us the green light to step out on faith, to trust Him, to know what He's doing, and to walk as Jesus walked. As a church family, if we can help you in any way this morning, there's going to be some people here at the front of the auditorium if you'd meet us there. Let's stand and sing.